I am Brother Cornell West, and this is Hip Hop Can Save America. Peace and love, everybody. It's your man, Manny Faces. Just wanted to let you know that Hip Hop Can Save America is now available as a live stream show every Monday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Time on YouTube. You can find it at hiphopcansaveamerica.com slash watch. Excerpts from that show will be played here on the audio feed, so you'll still get the good interviews that you've been used to. But check out the live stream and check out my free Substack newsletter at mannyfaces.substack.com. That's filled with all kinds of stories of hip-hop innovation, inspiration, and generally hip-hop news that isn't about dumb shit. For everything hip-hop can save America, hiphopcansaveamerica.com. For everything Manny Faces, mannyfaces.com. And if you find value in this work, you can support it. We'd love to have you aboard as a supporter at patreon.com slash mannyfaces. Now let's go. The thing about hip-hop today is it's smart. It's insightful. The the way that they can communicate uh, a complex message in a very short space is is remarkable. And a lot of these kids, they're not going to be reading the New York Times. That's not how they're getting their information. So hip hop didn't invent anything, but hip hop reinvented everything. Peace and love, y'all. See, man, Manny Face is the creator and host of Hip Hop Can Save America the Signal award-winning podcast that delves into the ways that hip-hop music and culture can help uplift humanity and improve society. Now listen, if you're like me, you first heard Master Ace as the lead-off to what many, like me, will say is the best posse cut in hip-hop history. Listen closely so your attention's undivided. Many in the past have tried to do what I did. Just the way I came off then, I'm gonna come off stronger and longer, even with the trouble. Once you hear the capital A, rap it'll stay with you for a while, it won't go Indeed, Master Ace's rapping did stay with us for a while, a long while. Now, 32 years since the release of his debut full-length Take a Look Around, Master Ace has a discography that surpasses most of his peers. He's welcomed in a second wave of a career after deciding to shed the confines of the music industry and has now parlayed his prolific storytelling style to the stage with the development of a musical, The Falling Season, in association with hip-hop theater production company Rhymes Over Beats. And there's no way around it. These feats are made even more impressive by the fact that the Brooklyn-bred wordsmith has been battling multiple sclerosis for two decades. The Capital A was gracious enough to discuss all of these topics with me as we both took a look around as as good an example of longevity in rap that there is. My name is Manny Faces. Here's my talk with Master Ace. Peace and love. The Capital A is here. Uh, I gave an intro, and of course, some of you uh, who are watching or listening will absolutely know you by the breadth of your work uh, throughout the decades. It's an elementary way to start, but if you wouldn't mind, kind of, I wanted to give space for you to introduce yourself to the to the listeners and watchers as you present yourself to the world. You know, sometimes we just read off the bio and that's not, you know, always how we feel that day. What's going on, world? Um, this is Master Ace from Brooklyn, New York City. Been in the music business for over 30 years. Um, I don't know how many albums I've put out. I lost count somewhere around 12, 13. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I've I've uh I've been in this game for a minute and I've seen a lot, I know a lot, and hopefully I can share some of that knowledge with you guys. Yeah, I appreciate you for that. Um I wanna kinda start at the end or where we are today, if you don't mind. I know that you've recently premiered a musical. 
you know, some might say a hip hop musical, but a musical, right? Uh, right. Called The Falling Season, uh, which is the same title as, as uh, one of your recent albums. Uh, but you largely conceived and wrote this the stage play, the stage performance in association with uh, Rhymes Over Beats is the name of the production company. Correct. Would, you, would you love to share the concept of that show? How kind of what led to it, how it came together and, uh, you know, the storyline, what people should expect when this show and we'll talk about where it might eventually pop up. So I've been writing it for about six years. Um, it's loosely based on three of my albums. Um, Disposable Arts, A Long Hot Summer, and The Falling Season. I say loosely based because all those albums have storylines in them, and it doesn't necessarily follow the storylines on the album, but there are characters. If you're familiar with my albums enough, then you know that there are certain characters on the skits, and what I've done is kind of brought those characters to life um, in this musical. And the, the, it's a story of a young man who is trying to, he, he's, he's, in, he's about to be go, in his se- senior year of high school. It's the summer before his senior year in high school. Mm. He's, try, he's trying to be the first in his family uh, to go to college. And there are some unforeseen circumstances around his life that are putting all of these hopes and dreams that he has uh, in jeopardy. And the story kind of takes you through the summer before his senior year and all of the craziness that happens right right when he thinks he's about to like leave Brooklyn and go out and see the world and you know get a college degree yeah his world kind of comes crashing down right at the very beginning of the story and um we had two stage readings of it on June 1st and June 2nd at um Theater Row in Manhattan New York City um and it was it was very well received by hip hop heads journalists and uh broadway types alike yeah. like we had we had a good cross section of different people in that room in the in those rooms and um the overall feedback was really positive that's dope so when you say characters and stories obviously this is a question you've been asked and answered but you know how much of your personal life how much do you pull from folks you know and how much is sort of i don't know fictionalized for lack lack of a better word uh yeah. you know to, to kind of in in the albums and then translating obviously to the stage play so I think like there are aspects of the main character that are definitely mirror my life. And then there are other aspects that are completely made up. Yeah. Um, the grandmother character and the mother character, those are familiar to me because I'm really referencing my grandmother and mother and the way that I was raised um, with those two women. Um, there's an uncle character, which I had two. I grew up with two uncles, but there's one one uncle. So I did have the uncle but this this uncle in this story is a lot more uh <laughs> he's a lot more, he he he's kind of a a piece of crap of mm-hmm. an uncle you know yeah. I, my uncles weren't as nearly as bad as <laughs> as, as this guy got you <laughs> is um but um they, they come up to you after man i wasn't that bad those based yeah, after yeah. me man <laughs> yeah i know I won't even, that's why I didn't use, I didn't use their names or anything. Cause I didn't want them to think that it was, you know, them. Yeah. Um, but it was kind of just important that there was an uncle character in the room yeah. in, in the, in the story, because I, I have one in my story. Yeah. Um, and, and just being a kid from the hood that was pretty good in school, but his environment didn't really promote that or respect that. Um, that's also an aspect of my life, which I kind of speak about on my song, young black intelligent. Right. Um, and so, yeah, the, all of the, all these little elements I kind of pulled from different songs, different albums, and just kind of me- me- melted it all together into this, into this musical. 
You said you've been working on it for many, many years. So it was something that you were, I don't know, back of the head or, or slowly developing. What kind of pushed it over the edge to say, oh, we can make this happen. We can actually do this. I had, so I had been, I had been kind of like lo- loosely writing like a screen, a screenplay. Right. And, um, I had kind of, you know, started to sketch out a screenplay for what I thought might be like a made for TV movie or something like that. And, and then, um, one of the guys that I traveled on the road with power Malu, baby power mm. from the lower East side, he, uh, he mentioned that there was a, a theater company that had been newly formed that were looking for hip hop artists to bring stories to the stage. And they were having a party, a, a, a big like launch party. And he, he brought me with them to this party. And um, the director, Patrick Blake, was on stage and he kind of said, you know, we're looking for artists that have compelling stories that they want to bring to the stage. So I immediately started thinking about this, this screenplay that I've been writing. And I was like, mm-hmm. hmm, maybe I can adapt that to the stage. Um, after that, after that party, um, I immediately started kind of the gear started turning. I was talking to power about my idea. He's like, yo, try it. You know, um, I got my hands on some script writing software. Cause up to that point I didn't have script writing software. I was just, um, right. kind of writing in my, just on my laptop. And so once I got the script writing software and I got that structure, then I was like, okay. And I just started basically focusing the story around a stage and around these characters. Um, about, about a year in, I was only maybe two or three scenes into the whole thing and it was just going really slow. So, Mm. um, Patrick Blake, you know, he would check in, he would check in with me from time to time. How's it going? How's, you know, are you making progress? I'm like, yeah, but it's kind of slow because I've been touring. I'm on the road and when I'm on the road, I'm having really been writing like that. And he's like, you know, I'm going to put I'm going to put you with a dramaturg. And I'd never heard that term before. I'm going to put you Mm. with a dramaturg and. Um, she's going to help you complete the story, Com- not, well, complete the, complete the musical by, you know, having sessions with you on a weekly basis. And so that's what we did. Um, her name is Kate Camerata. And from that point, after that first year, she was basically once a week, we would meet either in person or, um, over the phone or over zoom. And we would read the new, um, the new parts of the story that I had written. And once I got that, the, the pressure of having to right. have something done by the next week, then, right. then, it started, then it started to really move because I didn't want to, you know, look like I was slacking. Right. The know, accountability um, of it, you know. Accountability. And, yeah. and so and once I got, once, once I had that, um, it really made it start to go. And so every single week when, when, when we met, I had, we had, I had to have a new part. Okay. This is what I worked on this week and (laughs) and we read that and read that new part. And so, and she gave me tons of feedback, you know, she definitely gave me feedback and direction. She teaches theater, um, at the college level, um, Mm. Stony Brook and then now Baruch, I think university she's at. And so she knows, she understands very clearly what the structure of a, you know, musical is supposed to be, what, what the purpose of the scenes are, the characters are. And so I would just use my own instincts and then she might point out, you know, certain aspects of what I wrote that might not work because of X, Y, or Z. Yeah. Um, and so I'll be like, okay, and because I don't know, I'm not, a, I'm not formally trained in theater, so I don't know. So right. she would get, she would give me that feedback or like kind of what's expected, what the kind of the rules are. And then I would go, okay, cool. And I would go back and I would fix what she, her feedback and come back. And, and that's how we got here. And, and six years later, we got a completed musical. Um, we've, you know, have a 
a wonderful, incredible cast, a, a brilliant director, um, Todd Underwood, who, um, you know, we're excited. He's also a, a choreographer, so he's going to be able to put together the dance numbers and all of that. Mm. Like he's he's like he's like next level with it. So yeah, yeah. But we're excited, man. We're excited. That's pretty. It's got to be. Uh, there's probably a a wide guy. Obviously, you're a pro- prolific writer. You know, you know how to you know how to write. You know how to write songs. But then that structure has got to be the the part that's like ah, I gotta either condense or you know how everyone says you gotta throw away your babies. You gotta condense, take stuff out, try to form it because you're not you don't have the expansive world of right. a wide open imaginative canvas that you do when you're writing a song. The first the first the first draft of this musical. We had we had our first table read at, at March of 2020, right before the lockdown, and I was at like 160 pages, mm-hmm. which, you know, they told me like, listen, a two-hour musical is about 100 pages. <laughs> okay. So she, they're like, this, this is like this is gonna be three hours. Like you're gonna have to chop it's this an opus. down. <laughs> right, right. So yeah, you know, so th- then it became the, the challenge became keeping the story intact, keeping the characters intact, but reducing the pages. I, I just was, you know, I overwrite. So yeah. the conversations were like just really intense and detailed. Like I like detail. So there was like way too much detail in the original version that wasn't necessary. So right. once I read through it, once I began to read through it again and chop down the pages, I realized, okay, this character kind of doesn't need to say all of this. They can they can say this and mean the same thing, and okay. so that's that's that was the that was my process. Yeah. That was my process. Yeah. How much? How much? You know, rap. How much rap and how much music is in the musical? How you know what's kind of the how do those not to like go through the whole thing, but yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, how, how do the songs punctuate? Right, because you're telling a story, but then the the songs I, I would imagine kind of punctuate and emphasize certain parts of the story. How often does that occur? How much of the musical is music? So it's 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 about fourteen or fifteen songs. Okay. Um, and the majority of them, probably ninety percent of them, are just straight rap joints with the different characters rapping. Um, and I learned from my dramaturg Kate that the purpose of a story in a musical is to push the push the push the uh, story forward. Right. So. As a as a as an MC, and when I do my albums and I'm writing a song, and I have a topic, you know, I can kind of go anywhere I want with it. You know, I'm I'm gonna be super lyrical and use a bunch of metaphors and make it sound really cool and make stuff rhyme. Right. But and that's what I was doing initially. And she's like, you know, this is cool. These rhymes are, you know, these lyrics are nice. They're real poetic and all that, but they don't push the story forward. So I had to really rethink mm. my story, my songwriting mindset had to change because I had to realize that everything I'm writing in the song has to advance the storyline. And once I understood that, then I was able to, you know, execute these songs in the right way um, and still make them super entertaining. And and some are funny and some are just heartfelt and heartwarming and all of that. Um, And so there's a good mixture of, you know, um, inspire, inspirational story songs, um, funny songs, um, tear jerker kind of joints like this. There's, there's there's a few different joints like that. You know that yeah. the whole range, the human experience, the whole range. Ex- exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, that's dope. Um, a quick, you know, little 
couple questions about the path to the musical. It's we're not here for a long interview, so we can't talk about again the breadth of your work. I do encourage artists and folks who are in the business or want to be in the business to listen to some of your <clears throat> longer interviews where you go into the kind of trials and tribulations of being an artist signed to the labels and all the you know things that come mm -hmm. with that. Um, but a big part of your music biz, biz your music business story is is the the battle to not compromise your art for commerce, right? Right. You know, uh, it's led to some of the more recent projects, uh, maybe starting with, I, I think, Disposable Arts, which I heard you say somewhere was sort of like at the time you may have considered that your swan song. You were maybe yeah. saying this is this is kind of it, but I want to do it on my own terms. I heard you say somewhere. Exactly. So, and then that actually led to this incredible run of several albums since then. And then the musical. So this has been and I'm not. I don't want to, you know, detective your whole career, but it would seem to me that this is the time of your career where you've been able to finally put you authentically into all of your work a hundred percent without having to worry about the confines right. of the music business and such. Right. That is, was, that, is that accurate? And how does that feel as an artist to have had such a long career, but now be in this creative space where you could be you? Yes. Completely accurate. You know, when you're assigned to a major and, they're putting money into your career. Um, they're going to want certain styles, certain music, certain features, certain, you know, messages in the music. And, you know, you find yourself as an artist trying to appease people in suits that sit in offices that don't go to rap, don't go to hip hop clubs. Right. You know, and so Disposable Arts was the, was the at that, that was when I officially became an independent artist with, with, with my own label, with my own you know, imprint and the guardrails were off. I could do exactly what I wanted to do. So from 2001 forward, all the projects that I released were just me doing exactly what I wanted to do. What I, what I thought felt right, sounded right, was a perfect representation of me. Not that my previous work wasn't a representation of me. It's just that within that work, there was compromise happening all the time. And there was, there was too much, thinking, well, this, if I want to get on the radio, I got to have right. a joint, a joint like this. Um, and I, all that had got thrown out the window and that's why I became really my, my, my freest. And that from that point, 20, 20, 2001 was the point where really I kind of redefined my career and I got an extension that ended up being, a, it's going to be 22 year extension on a career, mm. which you, you just don't see in hip hop. I had, right. I had a career from 1990 to 95. Right. 96 and that was three albums and you know people knew who i was i had songs on the radio the whole bit and kind of most artists at that point that's when things kind of start to kind of go downhill for me in 01 when i dropped and kind of started over and had that reset I, I picked up all of these brand new fans that didn't know anything about the first six years of my career they knew right. about me from disposable arts forward Mm -hmm. they, they discovered the other albums later but it was like oh they thought i was a new artist in 01 when i came out <laughs> right and that was kind of great because now these people are in their 30s and they're talking about man i, I came you're the first hip-hop show i ever came to i was 18 years old my first time going to a show and i came to your show now i'm 35 i got a wife and kids mm -hmm. and, and so he, hearing those kinds of stories and then the other day this past Saturday, I, I did a, a autograph signing at a, at a at a store out here. I mean, at a at a uh, restaurant out here in New Jersey, and these two sixteen year old kids showed up. I'm like, mm. man, you're like, man, we love your music. I said, how old are you guys? <laughs> right. 
we're 16. I said, how do you even know my music? It, <laughs> it just blew, it just blew my mind. But they were like there just to like that's wild. Meet I me. I think I was I think I was 16 when I first heard you know the symphony. You know, you know what, what I mean? Like yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. So these two br- <laughs> wow. these two these two bright faced 16 year old kids like they're smiling. They're just happy to meet me. We love your music. We listen to it all the time. And they wanted to get some signed. They each bought a shirt. Like it was just like wow, this is crazy different. I mean, it, you just don't expect it. You don't expect it. Not just not this deep into a career. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, in many ways, you're sort of a model for all of the things that you hear people our age say they wish hip hop had, right? Oh, I wish the older artists were still making new music. Checkbox. I wish right. that, you know, they were changing to the to the to the times but not changing completely, right? You know, like adapting a little bit. Checkmark. Oh, yeah. I wish they would branch off and do things more creatively in other aspects. Musical. Checkbox. Oh, I wish that, you know, they would open their arms to young people and not dismiss them like the old folk, tape, you know, old heads tempted to do. Checkmark. So, like, you're doing all these things and you're seeing sort of, like, the results of that, I guess. And and you're right. Absolutely. Like, who who else... You know, not nobody, but it's a yeah. it's a tough thing to do in this genre. So yeah, it is. Somehow you somehow you're doing it. Um, so it leads me to a, another question because one of the other besides the label trials and tribulations, you've been very vocal about your personal health journey. Yeah, uh, over the years, uh, as as a fan, as you know, someone who knows you, I want to know how you're doing. Just you know, man, hope you're doing all right. You know. Um, and, and if you just share whatever you want to share about that, that, you know, your health situation, your journey with it, um, you know, again, I just wanted to give you space to do that. I know Absolutely. It's, it's important to you. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I was diagnosed with MS 23 years ago. Um, and certainly I've, I've made so many changes in my diet and health perspective, um, health and wellness perspective. Um, in terms of, you know, not just what I eat, but m- my, my movement, um, being active, staying active. I, w- I went to the gym yesterday. I was, I was doing bench and, and squats and stuff. Like I'm, I'm my, you know, my goal is to keep my body strong, um, so that I can run around on these stages for years and years. That's, 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 that's what I'm hoping for. So, um, but just, um, just major changes in diet and lifestyle. Um, yeah. you know, the, the drinking, I kind of put the drink into the side. Not that I was ever a heavy drinker, but it's got to be like a major, you know, New Year's, I might, you know, <laughs> drink two two glasses of champagne, three glasses of champagne, something like that. But right. did, I, just, I just knew that in order for me to keep this disease at bay, I couldn't do things to my body that would make it be active and want to move around and, 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 and expand and spread. Yeah. Um, and I've been fortunate. I've had, you know, I get an, M- I get MRIs every, pretty much every year. I get a, I get an MRI of my, my brain and spine and, you know, the, thank God the last, you know, four MRIs, um, have, have, have had no changes. So the disease is, it's stable. Um, it hasn't gone away, but it hasn't advanced. Right. And, and, and I think that is a testament to what I've been doing with, with, with my diet and exercise right. regimen. And so I, I stay with, even when we're on the road, you know, um, mm-hmm. I take care of myself. Um, I eat the right stuff. I use the hotel gym. I use the hotel sauna, like whatever, whatever I can do to right. keep my, keep my mind in, 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 in the right space. I, I do those things. And I, I encourage anybody listening, you know, to this interview to, to treat your body right. You know, don't wait for 
a crazy diagnosis to say, oh, I gotta make changes. Like True. you can you can do that stuff now. Like you know, we're not thirty, we're not thirty, we're not twenty five anymore. When you hit after the, north of thirty, things start to change and stuff starts happening. And mm-hmm. you know, we gotta make sure that we stay on top of our well being, and it's it, it's up to us. Who else is gonna do it besides us? Yeah, I, and I appreciate you being vocal about it and telling people, you know. Obviously, there's a stigma, you know, and, 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 you know, to be honest, in certain communities more than others about trusting the doctor, trusting the healthcare system. And I get that. And that's important. And, and those things are real. Yeah. But also, you got to kind of balance that with the need to be in touch and in tune with with your body and, and your health. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I don't um, I'm definitely not waving any flags for the healthcare system. I definitely have my own questions, doubts um, about things that we're told, you know, every time I go to the doctor, oh, you know, we got the new flu vaccine. We got the, mm-hmm. we got the, um, um, what the shingles vaccine. We got the pneumonia vaccine. I'm like, mm-hmm. no, thank you. No, mm-hmm. thank you to all of it. I'm good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to just kind of use your, you know, use your head and, and certain things make sense and certain things don't. Right. Yeah. Right. I get it. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. I'm, you know, fun fact, <laughs> not, you know, I'm a living kidney donor. I've donated oh, one of my kidneys. Um, my daughter, you. actually. Yeah, thank you. And um, wow. yeah. How's so how she, she doing? She's great. We're four years out from it. Uh, she nice. was 27 at the time. And, wow. uh, you know, she's doing, yep. you know, yeah, she had a whole vasculitis thing. You know, kidneys failed. And, you know, I was a match and we did it. And it took about a year and a half to go through the whole process and such. But we're yeah. four something years out. She should be able to have it for 10, 12, 15 years. I'm, you know, except that I need to go to the gym a little bit more, but I'm perfectly healthy. There's no ramifications to me. Good, good. And um, I hope that in 10 years when she may need a new, another one because she's young and they don't last forever, basically, but they could last sure. a long time. By then, they'll be 3D printing kidneys. It'll be fine. Right. <laughs> so, right. but I say that to say that I'm always, I always throw that in. Like, not to pat myself on the back or get kudos, but because you might know someone that needs a kidney transplant. It might be some of your family and you might be wary of, that's a huge thing. Like, uh, yeah. can I, can I live properly after that? You know, you, you mentioned cut out drink. And I remember I was like, I can still drink. Right. They're like, yeah, it's not your liver. I'm like, okay, good. Cause then I would have been like, is there another way? Like, right, right, right. <laughs> I don't want to cut that out. Nah, come on, man. Like I can't No, but same thing. I got to cut down all the things just so that I don't get, you know, uh, obviously you get diabetes or anything like that, that affects your kidney heavy. So I have sure. to watch my, my, uh, my health as well, but I want to be vocal about it because just hearing somebody that they know and respect an artist, you know, a creative like yourself and say, y'all, man, you went through this. But the reason that you're not, the reason why you're still able to dance around and not dance around, but, you know, jump around stages is because you said, this is my life, my right. lifestyle. And I have to do what I have to do. And there's just no ifs, ands, and buts about it. And that's, that's how I feel about, you know, you preparing to deliver a kidney to someone, you got to cut down on things. You got to, you know, make sure you're healthy so that your kidney's healthy because you pass it on to your loved one. So, you know, right. I like to have these discussions. I think it's important. So I respect you for that. It's a great story. Um, thank you. Um, you know, similarly, although not as, uh, it's a, it's sort of a low note and I hate to go there now, but I, you see my shirt, anyone's watching, I'm repping biz, right? You know, I'm repping biz Marquee on the shirt today. Uh, one of my, you know, hip hop superheroes. I'm from Long Island. So, you know, we, we loved biz and I know you had a special uh, relationship with him musically and, and personally. And of course the documentary is out all up in the biz. Yeah. And there was that part that, that whole storyline through there with the use of the puppet, you know, representing biz in his, in his, uh, in his last days and such. And then you obviously being the one that the genesis of that 
puppet right. as biz, you know, thing. I just want to know like your feelings on it. Was this something that you were approached about? Did you know about it? You know, how did you, your, that Genesis that started with you in a way found a way into this documentary. I thought very poignantly, I thought it was really yeah. creative and, and touching. What was your involvement or what were your thoughts on it? That, that was that, that, that the puppet vision was completely Sasha Jenkins, the producer. Right. Um, I didn't know about the puppet until I came to film my parts. The, the mm. day I came to film my part, I saw the puppet. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, wow. And I, th I think he wanted me to kind of be shocked about it. So when I walked on set and I saw the puppet sitting there, I'm like, holy crap. Like, right. this is this is incredible. Um, and we, we had a quick wow. discussion. He told me it was the the guys from Crank Yankers had made this puppet. And the actual Crank Yanker puppeteer was there. Like, he was the one Doing um, wow. operate, operating the puppet. What a throwback, because you know how big they were, too, back in like, the day. Yeah, what, what a full yeah. circle kind of combination. Hell yeah, hell yeah. And, um, wow. you know, we, we, we shot that we shot the, that part, um, the, the, the Dear Biz uh, rhyme. We, we shot that uh, several takes. We did, a, we did a few takes with music, because I have a version that actually has a beat to it. Okay. And we did, and we did a few acapella, and you know, he told me like a few weeks later, he's like, "I, I think we're going with the acapella version. It's just more, it's just more heartfelt." And so I was like, "No problem." And so the the other version will be a bonus track on a new album with me and Marco Polo, which is coming out oh, um, coming out later this year. Wow, dope! Yeah, that must have been quite a day for you. <laughs> yeah, it, it was. It was. It yeah. was definitely a couple of emotional moments, but yeah, got through it. I thought it was brilliantly done. I think that might have been the point in the in the, when I'm watching this thing. I'm I'm on a plane. I'm probably like, don't look at me right now. I just gotta, <laughs> you know. what I mean, it was. I think it was remarkable, yeah. and and I thought Sasha's vision worked out. I know some people were weirded out by it. I'm like, nah, man, you must not, you must not know the the whole thing because we it felt right. I guess to me, it was the best way to because they wanted to tell the story of his last days in the hospital, right? And it by using the puppet it made it a little lighter, not as heavy as if the cameras were, you know, it, I, I didn't need to see him in that state. You know what I right. mean? Fair. So having the puppet there lightened it. I got to, I, I still got to learn about his last days, but I, it, it, the puppet just lightened that whole thing. Yeah. And it was, it was like the perfect thing to do. Yeah. I thought so too. Um, yeah. you know, dope work, man. Uh, I know I don't want to keep it too much longer. I uh, just want to say, you know, uh, fans of hip hop know uh, that this was the 50th anniversary of the genre. Uh, it's been celebrated all year or, or the symbolic anniversary. Right. Right? Some people, yeah. you know, obviously there's no one starting point. Um, they'll debate whether this artist or that artist should have been celebrated or this element or that element was represented properly. Um whether we should even capitalize, uh, celebrate the capitalizing of the culture so much. There's a lot of talk, you know, yeah, about this year, yeah. but I guess as someone who's been active in the business and the culture side and the genre for a good amount of those 50 years, I mean, I think it was, uh, I have it here. Take a look around. It's 32 years. Is that right? It's 90. So yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm, not, I'm not trying to, you know, make you feel old because I remember buying it as a 20 something. So I'm, I'm make me feel old while I'm saying it too. But uh, yeah, yeah. generally speaking, what is the symbolic anniversary, this 50 hip hop 50, this 50th anniversary, you know, mean to you when you look back on, on your life and your career and how much it's been a part of, of both. I mean, it's pretty amazing. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm okay that they picked that date um, just mm -hmm. because it, it's a date that, 
it's it's a date that we can point to. We have a physical flyer that we can look at and say, yes, this party happened on this date and it was a great night and all of these elements were in the room. Right. There's probably, not probably, there's definitely parties in New York City that predate that party. Right. Um, that happened around, in, not just in the Bronx, in Queens, in Brooklyn. There was th- those things were happening all around the city at the same time. Um, but because we don't have documentation maybe of other events, you know, I accept this this date and this party as a fair estimate of a starting point. Um, I'm okay with that, with, with them deciding to do that because, like I said, it was documented. Now, if somebody right. wants to pull up a flyer from 71 <laughs> and, you know, say this this, hap- this party happened in 71, then we could talk about that too. Uh, but yeah. I think it's pretty much etched in stone now that, 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 that's, the, that that's the anniversary and we'll, we'll celebrate that as such. You know that 1973 date. We'll we'll yeah. celebrate it. We'll celebrate it that way. And I'm I'm old enough to have been around in '73. I was a young kid, um, and they were doing parties in the jams in the park in Brooklyn, in my neighborhood in Brownsville. And I remember those parties, and it was it was mostly disco that was getting played. But um, I remember the older guys, you know, DJing in the park, and and you know th- those memories stay with me. Um, it's just great to know that I've, I literally was there from the beginning. I was literally there. I might not have been an artist, but I was there. I was watching it happen. I was watching it grow. I was breakdancing, popping. I was write, writing graph in my neighborhood on an elevator in the building on the walls and stuff. And, um, and, I, and I tried DJing before I tried rapping. So mm. I got a chance to live every, you know, every aspect. I beat, we all beatbox. We all tried to beatbox. <laughs> right. When our boy, when our boy was rapping, we was trying to do the beatbox. We all did it. So, you know, um, got a chance to 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 touch all all of the uh, of the phases, all of the, you know, levels of this culture, and try it all out. And I felt like I was better at rapping, so I stuck with that. Are you still sticking with it? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll go with this. this. Is sort of a final tirade that I go on at the end of these shows. Um, actually, I found something. This was a Redditor, some random folk on Redditor who said that uh, the EMC song Winds of Change was one of the first hip hop tracks that made me realize there's more to hip hop than what I'm hearing on the radio. Mm. It's another thing that we always talk about. We want more than what's on the radio. And and most of us who are, you know, we still electronically crate dig. We know that there's more than what's on the radio. And you've been doing this music your entire life. Um, your recent work, more recently, uh, a song called Home in America lets you, you know, has you opening up about, you know, political stuff, stuff that's happening in real life, very current. And mm-hmm. we see that hip hop can always, has always been able to be used as sort of a storytelling vehicle or uh, a, a cautionary tale, you know, and have political social impact. People think that that's not really happening anymore, but it happens just not on the radio. Right. Um, we see hip hop being used as a tool for mental health therapists to connect with young people in different ways and find a common ground. And, you know, you, you have ways to them express themselves and open up. That's the kind of people that I interview on the show. Typically, um, I usually won't speak to artists because there's a lot of places they'll speak to artists unless you're doing something kind of different, you know, intersectional, right. which right. you do. And that's why I'm really honored you took the time. Absolutely. And you've been able to do it and connect to people intergenerationally. You know, you got people in their 50s. You got people that are 16, as you talked about today, which is extremely important and testament to obviously the fact that hip hop can touch so many different people in real impactful, positive ways, as opposed to what people sometimes give credit for. Right. Right. 
So I say all that to say the name of this show is called Hip Hop Can Save America, right? which is a very lofty idea. And we may need may need more than just hip hop to do so. Um, but taking in all I've said, looking over your whole career, your personal connection to, to people, what do you think we need to consider when we consider hip hop as a way to effectively improve lives and livelihoods and communities? Do you feel that hip hop can help save America? I, I know that hip hop can help save America. The issue is what what you just spoke about, which is the radio play. Mm. Um, we have to be able to bring these messages to the radio. There has to be some sort of um, balance to the music that people are hearing. If people were hearing songs like Home in America on the radio and, and many, many, many other positive songs, you know, on the radio, every day the same way some of this other kind of mindless music that's played over and over again that they try to drill it into your head. The same way those songs are drilled into your head, they could drill songs that are positive, uplifting, um, motivational. Um, for whatever reason, I, I use the term the powers that be, they don't want those messages spread across our airwaves and that's where that that in lies the problem because in order to find this positive music you have to dig and search for it right you know um and it shouldn't be that way my my, my song um young black intelligent which was back in 2016 2016 right. 17 um you know when i when i released that song um there were several people on my timeline when i when i posted it that were like this should be nominated for a grammy they should at least be nominated for a Grammy. And right. it's, they, they don't understand that that's all about politics. That's not about the, the creative merit of the song. That's not about the messaging of the song. The powers that be don't care about any of that. So for me to get that nomination or to even get considered for that, I would have to have been a song about something completely negative. And that's what's kind of sad and, and, and trouble, troubling, troubling. Right. Um, so it's clear that hip hop can save America, but the powers that be don't want that to happen. They don't want that to happen. It can save, uh, it can save a whole generation of young people, right. but instead they want to pump a different message to young people. You know, one that's about partying and twerking and drinking and smoking and taking pills and all of that. That's on the radio. I could turn on the radio now and point out a whole bunch of those kinds of messaging that's in songs. But I, I can't hear young black intelligent anywhere on the radio. And, 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 and that's a problem. Yeah. The answer is yes. Hip hop can save America. Yeah. Yeah. Will, they, will they allow it to? Right. Thanks. I appreciate that perspective. I appreciate you and your work and your time. Uh, lastly, what's coming with the Fallen Season, the musical? Like, what are next steps? And uh, we'll start where we, we'll end where we started. Yeah, yeah. We are in the process of um, um, reaching out to investors all around the world. Um, the, the, the North Star for us is to open this thing in London um, sometime in the next year to two years. Um, but in the meantime, uh, I'd like to do a couple of uh, workshop versions of it locally, maybe in Jersey. I've had a, we had a good meeting with Newark Symphony Hall. 
Oh, and, just, and just yesterday, uh, we, my wife and I went over to the Billie Holiday Theater on Fulton Street in Brooklyn, which would be really the ideal place to do a workshop version because um, the Billie Holiday Theater is located at the Restoration Plaza in, in Brooklyn. And, and that's actually, Restoration is actually in the script, um, mm. as is Fulton Street. Like, there's several references to, to the main character. He lives in Bed-Stuy. So Fulton Street is mentioned in the story. Restoration is mentioned in the story. So, you know, it just would be a really an ideal, perfect place to to have it. Um, yeah. So it, there, or we, we also we also met with Brooklyn Academy of Music BAM as well. Okay. Um, yeah. and we, we're just gonna try that. to we're gonna try to find the right fit to do it locally. It won't be like the full blown out, you know, fully built out stage. Right. But it'll be it'll be a cool version of what is to come once we get to that next level, which is which is which is um the West End in London. Yeah, that'd be um that'd be something. Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> would there <clears throat> were there to be any rich investors listening, you know, pay attention, tune in. Um yeah. would they reach out to the production company or ha- how do they kind of find out more? They can reach out to who they can reach out to me. They can reach out to Rhymes Over Beats, which is on okay. um on IG. Um either or. Um Okay. Just want yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And um and and anything else coming from you that folks should know about? Anything you want to share, let people know? New album with me and Marco Polo. That's dope coming this year, coming December, well, digitally December, and then the physical will be ready in uh, January. Um, the, the new album is called Richmond Hill. Look out for it. Math Ace Marco Polo coming soon. That's what's up. Thank you, sir. I appreciate your time, and I wish you all Thank the you. best going forward. All right, man. Thank you. Once again, thanks for listening to another episode of Hip Hop Can Save America, a.k.a. the world's most important hip hop podcast. My name is Manny Faces. You can find out more about the show at hiphopcansaveamerica.com. You can watch the show now as a live stream on YouTube, hiphopcansaveamerica.com slash watch. Check back for all the replays as well. The interviews from the live stream will be brought here onto the audio feed, so you always get the best of the live stream. You can also check out our Substack newsletter. It's free at mannyfaces.substack.com. Filled with stories of hip-hop innovation, inspiration, and in general, hip-hop news that isn't about dumb shit. <laughs> Eternal shouts to our consulting producer, Summer McCoy. Be sure to check out her dope initiatives, Hip Hop Hacks, and the Mixtape Museum. We'll be back soon with another dope episode, but check us out on the live stream as well. Mondays, 9 p.m. Eastern, hiphopcansaveamerica.com slash watch. Until next time, it's Many Faces wishing peace and love to you and yours. Once again, thanks for listening to another episode of Hip Hop Can Save America, a.k.a. the world's most important hip hop podcast. My name is Manny Faces. You can find out more about the show at hiphopcansaveamerica.com. You can watch the show now as a live stream on YouTube, hiphopcansaveamerica.com slash watch. Check back for all the replays as well. The interviews from the live stream will be brought here onto the audio feed, so you always get 
the best of the live stream. You can also check out our Substack newsletter. It's free at mannyfaces.substack.com, filled with stories of hip hop innovation, inspiration, and in general, hip hop news that isn't about dumb shit. <laughs> Eternal shouts to our consulting producer, Summer McCoy. Be sure to check out her dope initiatives, Hip Hop Hacks, and the Mixtape Museum. We'll be back soon with another dope episode, but check us out on the live stream as well. Mondays, 9 p.m. Eastern, hiphopcasaveamerica.com slash watch. Until next time, it's Many Faces wishing peace and love to you and yours.